So Alvaro Bautista continues to dominate world SBK, four wins in a row. Welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast, Steve English and Gordon Ritchie, just to take you through the action from Bury Ram. We're recording this on Sunday morning because Gordo is a busy man on a Sunday night. So we've got the information from the Super Bowl session and from race one. And here in Bury Ram, it really was actually quite an interesting opening race to the weekend, Gordo. Oh, it was great. The first 10 laps were absolutely thrilling. We had contact between the riders. We had... Uh, overtakes. We had some uh, some really exciting action to watch. Um, it didn't last all twenty laps, but it was uh, certainly uh, an engaging first uh, first race for the weekend. And when you look at Bautista and Jonathan Ray at the front of the field, we, as you said, there was contact between them. Pure race and incident between the two. But we also saw just why the Ducati is so different to the Kawasaki. We saw that Bautista was breaking a lot earlier. We saw Ray was trying to run into the corners a lot faster. Yeah, I mean, Jonathan had to use the corners and the braking areas to, to make up for what he didn't have down the straights, uh, even the short straights. It's obviously the cat he punches out of corners just as well as it motors onto its top speed. Um, so he was having to do that, which did end up stressing his setup. Um, and as Jonathan said, after the end of the race, he just couldn't do that for 20 laps and expect to uh, more or less get away with it. So he finally, at the end, decided to slow down a little bit. Um, but I think also Batista probably had a bit left um, in his setup anyway. Although he wasn't actually that happy with his, his chassis setup in Australia. A lot of the reason why he finished so far ahead is because he was so happy with the front end. And when your front end's working well, it means that you're that entering corners, which is just as important as exiting corners, was also good. So he was gaining everywhere in Australia. Here, he could see his bike was moving and especially in the mid chicane it was, it was really sliding front and back um, and he declared himself not that, not 100% happy with his setup whereas in Australia I think it was just as good as it could be yeah, I think that was one of the big things that we saw here in Buriram, a very different circuit as you say Gordo, in Australia it's all about carrying that speed in the middle sectors of the lap here, we've got some big braking zones, turn 12, turn 1 turn 4, sorry turn 3 turn 5 so for all the riders, very different challenge here. And with Bautista, as you said, in Australia, really happy with the front end when he was rolling through corners. But it's a different front end whenever you're trying to pitch that bike into stop. Yes. I mean, okay, the nature of the track makes a difference here. Um, and also, he, he said in the morning yesterday he was much happier than he was in the afternoon. He didn't couldn't work out why, but he's, things were slightly different for him uh, in the in, come the afternoon and he didn't feel as happy so he was a little bit curious about that so if anybody's looking for a kind of uh, chink in the armour maybe that's it maybe the bike isn't quite as repeatable as uh, it seemed to be in Australia and two different race lengths and so on so um, yeah it's definitely a different place here and the heat also makes a huge difference in the the, the setup and the, the changing heat the track temperature can be is always hot but sometimes it's in the 50s and yesterday was in the 40s. Yeah, definitely the heat's not uh, not the help of an Irishman or a Scotsman around no, here, Gordon. No, I, I don't mind it as much. I quite like it. But then again, I'm not digging holes in the road. I think I'd, be, I'd have a very different opinion of places like Thailand if I had to be outside doing manual labour rather than flitting in and out from air-conditioned rooms to the pit lane and back again, you know. But, I mean, it's punishing for everybody, the mechanics, the, I mean, especially the riders, obviously. But... Uh, it's a pretty punishing place to work at the best of times and it does have an effect even on people who think they've got a really nailed on setup. even a little change because it's, it's such an extreme 
and the temperature range, a small change in temperature, a small change in setup, kind of a really big difference in your tyre life towards the end of the race. And there was a few people uh, who were affected by that on race day. I haven't heard any real tyre problems. Obviously, Philip Island's a very, very extreme place for tyre wear on one side. And even with the temperature here, I haven't heard as many people of any kind of real issue. Although some people found the braking systems were a little bit on the limit, as they always are here. It's the toughest place for braking the whole year. I mean, they're on the brakes for longer than anywhere else. Um, Brembo do a little chart and a whole series of statistical analyses for every race, and this is marked as five out of five for difficulty. That, that's, that tells you all you need to know. Yeah, if you think back to last year, of course, in the second race when Jonathan was coming through the field, just in that dirty air, nothing to cool down the brakes. And that's whenever he started to suffer quite a lot of brake issues. We saw him run wide into a lot of corners. We saw him really struggle to get that bike stopped. I think Leon Haslam had a little bit of problems with it yesterday, but uh, Haslam's coming through the pack. So once you're in that dirty air, it really is difficult to try and get everything cooled down. But uh, at the front of the field, certainly saw that uh, tempers didn't cool down too much after the race. We saw that Bautista was pretty annoyed about the clash with Ray. We saw Ray was pretty adamant that he didn't want to talk about it. For me, it looked like it was just a, a simple, standard racing incident. Bautista goes in to try and take the corner. He goes in too hot. Ray tries to undercut him and drive for the exit, and both bikes are just going to the same point on the track. Yes, I mean, I don't think there was anything in it. Um, it was very exciting and dramatic, and it could have been very... Uh, Bautista did really well to save it. Um, but I think maybe he just wasn't expecting anybody, even Jonathan, to, to try and come through in there. Whether or not he went a half a yard wider than normal, where it was noticeable that his line, per se, seemed to be different from Jonathan's because he was putting more store on getting himself set off or coming out of the corner. That's why he said he was taking that line. He said it was a normal line, but the normal line was for him to, to, to then get the drive down the next straight, which was more important for him. That, that, but Jonathan was making his time up in the corner, so more important for Jonathan was to maintain himself right behind or when he had that chance to pass in the corners rather than because he's got no advantage he's got the opposite on the main straights now yeah and obviously one of the big things when you've got that top speed advantage like the Ducati you just try and make sure you're able to get that drive down the straight but with Bautista we saw he had to break so early into most corners whenever it was him and Ray together you could see that Ray was breaking a lot later so Bautista said afterwards that he had some problems with the brake a lot of that can also come from the fact that you're in a race situation and suddenly you have to ride the bike very differently. The inverse of that, yes. we see with the likes of Tom Sykes, the bike is great on its own, he can set good lap times, but he can't race that bike. Maybe for Bautista, just the way he's setting the bike up, it just means that it's more and more difficult for him to try and race with that setup to try and break late and deep and attack people. Well, funnily enough, on Friday, the first question I asked Bautista was, the knowing how difficult it is to break here, was to say, how how does it compare the carbon brakes in MotoGP and the steel brakes here? Because obviously there is a outright performance differential, and he agreed with that fact. But he also said on Friday, no problem here, nothing. No, after two sessions on Friday, he said no, fine. They don't have the same potential, they don't have the same power, but no problems yet in the race. It seemed to be that whether it was exactly what you say, sitting behind someone or. Um, having to use them in a different way, having to battle with them rather than just do your own clean lap, then I can. He obviously had a bit of a uh, a change of opinion there. Uh, probably 
for what you said about the fact that he was battling with everybody else. And you can see Sykes is probably yesterday he was fourth, I think, on lap one. He, he shot around a couple of people and was fourth. We thought, wow. And every straightaway with any significance, every time anybody got a decent drive behind him, he was just he just got past quite quite easily. But I think it's interesting that, that even though his results are not there, there does seem to be huge potential on that bike. The only thing missing from that bike seems to be better engine performance, both punch out the corner and top end. Yeah, once they get that engine upgrade they're expecting when we get back to Europe, that bike really looks like it could be a bit of a weapon in the class. Like when you talk to Tom, he says the front end's great, chassis's great, great feel from the bike. And when you look at him out on track, he's carrying corner speed. He's doing all the things that for years we were... Again, just like what we saw in Australia, we talked about it on the podcast, we're conditioned to believe certain things in the World Superbike Paddock. One of the things that we're conditioned to believe is Tom can only ride one way. But we've seen him with the BMW have to ride a different way. And Tom just saying, you ride whatever bike you have the best way that it can be ridden. And we're seeing that with the BMW. Yes, and I think BMW have made a very good package from the get-go. Um, I, I think there's huge potential in that bike. They are a factory team back again. They might not have all the knobs and whistles and huge hospitality units that they, they had the first time they came around and I'm sure they're not spending quite as much money but they seem to be spending the budget on the right things. They seem to have made a good bike from an already good bike but we're very early days for that bike yet. I think we always say in this championship is we don't really know the full shape of it until we do the two flyaways and then the first two Europeans. Then we get into the, the meat of the season and by then we probably know who's going to be doing what and starting a production based world championship in February far away from a normal European base of operations for the teams always means that people start the season not quite ready they can plan as much as they want but when for example they only release a new model when some of the shows in November you know there's only so much work you can do on the final thing until you take to the track, until you start getting that work done. And then there's a, a mandatory winter break. It's Nobody ever starts this championship ready, and we're actually only in round two. It seems like we're, we're well in the season now, but this is actually round two. We've had one race of the second weekend. And that's the key thing, really, as you said. When you bring out a new bike, there's so much that you have to learn, so much that you have to do. And for Ducati to come here with their bike, obviously... They've got a well-known package. It's derived from the MotoGP bike. There's a lot of MotoGP technology on the World SBK machine this year. But there's still a lot for them to learn. And we've seen that with Chaz Davis, Eugene Laverty, Michael Rubin, Rinaldi. Particularly for Davis and Laverty, two race winners in the class, title contenders in the past. And it's been a real struggle for them to try and get their head around the bike. Yeah, I mean, Chaz just lost track time in the winter through injury. Um, he also seems to have had far more small niggling technical problems on, and sometimes what look like maybe more major technical problems than Batista has for some reason. Um, he doesn't seem himself. He's just a bit off from what he's, but from his phenomenally high standard over the last few years. Um, yeah, it's a new thing for him. It might actually be more of a new thing for Charles to get his head around than Batista because he's come from a V4 uh, in MotoGP and done really well on it. Um, and that bike has got a lot of MotoGP in it. Whether it's the overall design or actually specifics, we don't know until we the, 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 they give us information, which they'll probably never give us. But there's an awful lot of MotoGP there. Chaz is going from a V-twin, which he had to rev, ride a unique way because it didn't have punch out the corners. It had top end. They had to tune for top end to stay competitive, but that lost a lot of the traditional Ducati advantages. 
So this B4, which seems to have power and flat, or a flat power line, it's got power in most areas from, it's good coming out of corners, etc. What Chaz hasn't got is the time to get it together. Um, he's obviously seen Bautista doing what he does. That can't be any good for any rider's psychological uh, approach to things. He's probably doubly frustrated because of that. If other Ducati guys were in, all the other Ducati guys were in trouble, it wouldn't be so bad. But when someone's winning and he's on the same bike as you, exactly the same bike as you. And remember, for someone like Laverty, he's got a completely different suspension package on a new bike. So he's trying to do two things in that team. In a privateer team, he's trying to run different suspension from the factory guys. So there's no access to that data. And it's a whole new project. So he may have an ultimate benefit from that and that he can tailor all the suspension to his individual needs and not worry about what the other guys are doing or the direction of travel. He can direct the direction of travel. Right now, it's it's a hard way of doing it. The easier way would just be to copy what the factory guys are doing because obviously Bautista's running away. Yeah, and the one big difference between Davis and Bautista, and it is a big difference, Four inches, five inches, 13, 14 kilos. How many kilos? 13, 14? Well, it may be, a, it, it, there's a big difference. And I think that's part of why Batista's also doing what he's doing is because he's giving the tyres an easier time because he's lighter. There's less mass to stop when he's braking. There's less mass to accelerate when he comes out of corners. It's a bike and rider. It's a combined package. So it's just the laws of physics. If you've got a lighter package to accelerate with the same power, you will accelerate harder as simple as that so Chaz is a, but has already always fought that natural disadvantage it's as simple as that Chaz has always had that problem of being for a racer quite tall um, and and that's caused him problems in the winter with his back because he's got to crouch down so much he's, he's got longer levers and all his muscles are under more stress to, to take the riding tuck and push around so yeah Chaz I think Chaz is in a difficult place now uh, when he finds a setup, he'll be fine. Remember, Batista only found his happy front end setup in the last test at Phillip Island before the races. Until then, he was not quite happy. And as soon as they found that happy setup place, he just he was just gone. So maybe it'll be exactly the same for Chaz or any other Ducati guys when they get their setup for the Ducati. Maybe they'll also be straight up the top. But at the moment, it's just Batista. And the biggest problem for Davis is just because he's so much bigger then Bautista and it's worth not pointing out Chaz has absolutely nothing on him he's just oh, his sheer size means that he's he has to weigh tall. more but for Davis just weighing that extra 13 14 kilos whatever it is means that he can't use Bautista's settings because if you look at Bautista's bike all the weight is on the front and if you put another 13 kilos on the front the front just can't take that so Chaz is having to forage his own path try and find the weight distribution that works for him try and make sure that the geometry is right so you can't even really look at Bautista's settings and say, let's just throw this in, because as you said, Gordo, physics are going to dictate an awful lot for him. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the, it, ma- it makes such a big difference, even in cornering, when, when a rider pops out of the, the, the bubble, going into a corner, Chaz, there's just more of Chaz hitting the air because he's taller. A small rider's always going to be at an advantage, as long as he's not too small. Um, and I think it's a, an people don't realise as much. It's also had a bizarre uh, effect this weekend and that Marco Melandri, who spent the first few races last year on the Ducati Twin, wobbling down the straights in a very alarming fashion. It can't have been any fun, even though he was winning races at the start of the year, 
riding the bike last year because he just the back end was fishtailing everywhere and he's did exactly the same problem when he Yamaha this race at this weekend which sounds bizarre but that does as I said to him the other day that sounds like it's a it's something just to do with you or your, your, your set up whatever and your size and he said yeah it's the only, it's the only reason we can think of because it's a completely different bike than Yamaha from the Ducati had last year same basic problem yeah what uh, Melandri told me was that they're waiting for a new component from Olin's that they used on the Ducati at the end of last season. GRT expect to have it in time for Aragon. So maybe by the time we get to Aragon, we'll be able to see that problem alleviated a bit for Marco. Because as you said, Gordo, there was times during that race where he had the, he had the drive to be able to get through on Haslam. But just with that wobble, there was no way to actually keep it pinned and actually drive past him. Haslam ended up beating him in race one. But for Melandri... Just like with the other Yamaha riders, we've seen all the way through Australia, all the way through Friday and Saturday here in Bury Ram, and in all likelihood, it's what we'll see during today's races on the Sunday, the Super Bowl race, and also race two, that all four Yamahas pretty much as closely matched as you can get. I think there's there's two elements to that. One, the Yamaha works quite well here. They obviously don't have the same top-end power quite as the Kawasaki, and definitely not as the Ducati. I think very early in this weekend, all the Yamahas found their limit. Um, and it's the same limit. I think the riders are riding it different ways, but there is a, a, a physical limit that the, the Yamaha can go to to this track from Friday onwards. Uh, and we saw yesterday um, how the two factory Yamahas were, were the guys fighting for the podium, but there was they were absolutely together. Um, it, it's there seem to be four factory Yamahas this year. For by the GRT team and a private team, they do actually seem to be. In any other manufacturer, they would be more of a, a, a factory team that happens to be a first-year rookie team. But the support they're getting, I don't think anybody thinks there's anything significant that they can't have that the factory guys have got. Yeah, that's one of the key things we've always talked about with the rules and regulations and more or less became now, is that if all the parts have to be made available to each of the teams, suddenly you're able to have that where you know GRT can come in and be as competitive as the Crescent Run squad. Yes, and I think a few people said that might be the future of World Superbike, is rather than people going away and doing their own development, what you'll end up with is a factory team and then a privateer version of that. If people can come with the required expertise and budget to do it, that might be the future. If you imagine five manufacturers, six manufacturers, hopefully more in the future, all running four bikes, then that's a, that's a great grid. It's going to be much closer racing. You will have there's already been huge uh, strides made in this championship to even things out in terms of availability of components, cost of components. It's probably never been cheaper to get very close to a factory bike in this championship now. Um, but Yamaha seems to be the most uh, obvious example of that. And hopefully that will start to happen with other manufacturers. So you don't have to buy a very expensive bike to, to be close. And for the manufacturers, it actually saves them money if they make four or something and give it to everyone else anyway. The logic is that, it, that if they're making more material that they now have to make available to people, well, you might as well just give them it as soon as possible because then you're not running two differential software packages or suspension units, whatever. There are time limits on how long you have to get them to teams, but it can be 10 weeks and, and you know that's quite a long time if it's the middle of the season. But ultimately, that, that unifying rules thing I think is is the future of this championship for any ambitious team that wants to come here. There will probably be more direct 
manufacturer support without it being works special material because it's the same stuff that the rules limit the factory teams to as they limit the privateer teams to. Yeah, and I think for, for me that's definitely the biggest advantage that we have right now and it's definitely closed up the field we talked about it in australia that bautista comes in here and suddenly from his motor gp experience he's used to being absolutely from when he when he was 15 and he made his 125 debut he had to be absolutely on it every lap lap after lap and now that midfield is getting so much closer that every rider here now has to raise that game as well i was talking to leon camier about it saying that when you race in the british championship maybe if you're not quite on it, you might be down into fifth place. You know, maybe here in the past, because there was a big difference in machinery, you might be down in you know ninth, tenth position. But now, if you're not absolutely set up perfectly and given it everything you got, you could find yourself down in 15th, 16th very easily. I mean, this is the to me. There's quite a lot of ex GP riders now and uh, coming into this paddock. I think there'll be even more in the future. The way the trend is, that has happened in the past when people like Biaggi and Checa and so on arrived. They did change the, the mentality in, in Borisubai, where they never ever thought there was such a thing as a small problem. They just got rid of all the problems. And, and traditionally in a superbike, because they were road bikes, because the, the technology wasn't as sophisticated and couldn't be, there was always a kind of, well, we'll get the big things done, and then what the smaller things we can worry about. When you arrive from OGP, and if you've got one thing not working, you lose 10 positions automatically, then that changes your approach to things. Biagi did it all those years ago, and I think that's only going to increase when you've got people, even like Cortese. Why has Cortese come in at such a strong level? Uh, on what, He should be the fourth of the four Yamahas by some distance, even just because of experience. But ultimately, because he was spent most of his career in MotoGP, in the smaller classes, and the middleweight classes, ultimately, every single thing he did made a difference. If it was a good thing, it made a difference positively, and if it was a bad thing, it made a, a difference negatively. So those guys are going to have, have, have brought people forward again, and that's what we need here. We need people to be perfectionists, because that's what people like in the past, Ray and Davies, and the guys that were doing all the winning, were in the past. Yeah, and I think uh, what we've seen from a lot of the riders now, over the winter in particular, we saw a lot of riders change their training regimes. Jonathan Ray made a big change. He's gone more of a strength-based training. We've seen all the riders basically come back again, looking another couple of kilos lighter than they had been before. And it's just that extra step that's needed for everyone, really. And that's what happens in any form of race. Once someone ups the game, everyone has to up the game. And that's what we've seen now. I thought, like, looking back to the Yamahas, in race one, I thought one of the most impressive things that we saw in Gordon, you'll, you'll know this from when you were racing in Scotland, when you look at your pit board and you always saw, you know, the gap to the rider behind you, if he was right behind you for lap after lap, and obviously he was Gordo, if he was right behind you lap after lap and you couldn't make a mistake, really that was the races that, that meant a lot to you, whereas for like Alex Lowe's in yesterday's race, to get a podium under that intense pressure from Van der Mark, Melandry, Haslam for all the race, really was an impressive performance. Yeah, I mean, let's clear up the fact that I was riding around with people who were racing at the back. Um, but it was it was fun, and it always was. But uh, ultimately, when you see the... When, when you see... It's always harder to withstand pressure for a top rider. And when it's your teammate and he's got the same bike, you know what he can do. You know what he's capable of. Um, and the same with with Melandry and Haslam. The best thing about the race yesterday, I think, was even though things are a bit spread out, 
it's, and it's stages. There was battles all the way down. The camera spent an awful lot of time in the midfield yesterday because at one stage there was four riders fighting for 10th place and we had that battle on TV. When you've got riders with you, it totally changes the dynamic of what you're doing because you're not just trying to go fast, you're also trying to stop that guy getting past you. And that always makes for uh, randomness. You're never quite sure what's going to happen and it changes the dynamic totally. Yeah, there's only ever two states in racing, either applying pressure or under pressure. And uh, if you're able to take the pressure and not make mistakes, that's when you can get the good results. And it's going to be interesting to see really what happens the rest of this weekend, the Super Pole race in particular, Michael van der Mark in a Super Pole race, always a bit of a weapon. Is he going to be able to get himself up onto the podium in today's 10-lap race? Can he bring the challenge for another podium in race two as well? Because we know what van der Mark can do when he's got the tyre underneath him, when he's, got his, when he's got his tail up and he's confident. So it really will be a case of, let's see what happens between all four of those Yamaha riders. And then, as you said, Gordo, behind that, there was that battle for... 9th, 10th, 11th as well, that really did uh, get a lot of attention as well. And that's what we need to see, even if it was just to see... I think we saw Jordi Torres quite a bit, him and Taddy Mercado, two of the customer Kawasaki teams. And again, just showing that Petrucini and Aralek, if both of, both of those riders are right there with one another, top rack was around that battle as well, it shows that you know those teams are doing a pretty good job of being able to get quite a bit out of their packages. Yeah, I mean... Those teams are certainly the uh, Pedacini teams seems to have taken a step up this year. The Oralac guys haven't got the, the, the same budget as, as some other guys have got. What the Kawasaki guys in the midfield said to me yesterday was that they, they feel that they're, that they're definitely not producing the power the way they should be at the moment. And maybe there'll be power steps waiting for them. Um, but that was the, the issue for them and I think that's why Top Rack ended up being in 10th position uh, at the end because when he overtook Torres, Torres couldn't get him back, he just couldn't catch him on the straight um, so there's still work to be done there but it's it, even the the midfield teams have, have all made a bit more of a they've realised they've all had to make a bit more of an effort to uh, in every regard to move on and when you see somebody like Torres ride for Pedacini there's no better. He's won a race. He's he's been a, a winner in the GPs as well. I believe so. Ultimately, everything's moved forward this year, and it's making for the kind of battles even in the midfield that we saw the other day, where everybody's given everything in a tough track and tough conditions. Um, and who doesn't love seeing close racing all the way? I mean, that's what keeps those guys going. If everybody wants to win, but if you're fighting for a top ten. That's, you know, a top 10 still a top 10 for those guys. It's realistically where they're going to finish most weekends, unless it's a particular good track or the weather changes or they make a better tyre choice than everybody else. So there's as much at stake for those guys in their world as there is for the factory guys. And um, I think that we'll, hopefully we'll see more of that through the year. Yeah, and I think it's definitely going to be the case when we do see more of that. When you look at the field, it's deeper than we've ever really seen in more or less BK front to bottom. We might have had the golden era in the 90s when we had big crowds and a much more of a buzz around the championship. But the field itself right now really is strong. When you look at the amount of world champions, Grand Prix winners, British national champions, up and down that field really is impressive. But uh, just uh, to bring a close to today's show, as I said, we're recording this on Sunday morning. So now's the time to put you under pressure, Gordo. What's going to be your top three for the Super Bowl race? Uh, that's going to be more difficult than anything else. I 
I mean, I don't know. You can never tell. I think still Bautista and Ray, obviously. But it's who goes with them, who can go with them, who fancies himself more. You've alluded to Van der Mark, that's a good shout. Uh, obviously, Lowe's his confidence was high getting a podium yesterday, and he doesn't mind a scrap. Um, maybe Melandri. Maybe Melandri. Because, yeah, maybe Melandri. And if Haslam doesn't have the issues that he had yesterday, uh, I'll stop there because it could be a few guys it really could be anybody and that's a great the best thing about the 10 lap thing which is controversial this year but the best thing about the 10 lap thing is it is less predictable than, than the 20 lapper yeah I have to say, I'm looking forward to the 10 lap race and uh, for me as I said we're recording this on Sunday morning so by the time you hear this me and Gordon will both be shown to know absolutely nothing about World SVK but uh, for me, I'm going to go, actually, Johnny's going to pick up the win in the Super Bowl race from Bautista and Haslam in third spot. Now, I think race two is going to be a bit easier to predict. It's a longer race. And again, you'd have to, you'd, you'd be a fool to bet against Bautista. We saw in race one exactly what he can do with that tyre life as well. And that's been the most impressive thing for him. When you talk to the track spotters that go out and watch, whether it's Fabian Faure does it for Jonathan Ray, Michael Laverty does it for Chaz Davis, um, Michael Vandermark is Raymond Shotman. You've got a whole host of riders with tons of experience that are going out to, to do this job. Ron Haslam for Leon as well. Guys with absolutely buckets, years of experience behind them. And they all say the same thing. But how Bautista's using that tyre really has been impressive in Phillip Island and also here in Buryram. But now the big question is going to be is, can the other riders try and make that step to to bring themselves closer to how Bautista's riding? And Bautista's got the big advantage of having that extra power he can ride in a different way. But it's going to be interesting to see whether or not, particularly in the 10-lap race, if riders are that much more aggressive. I think there will be... Everybody fancies their chances for 10 laps. And, you know, the, the making the tyre last 20 laps is so much of what a rider has to do now. It's all very well being fast for 15. If you're slow in the last five, you'll, you will lose places. In the 10-lap race, probably no one's going to have tyre problems unless they do something a bit wacky with their setup. Therefore, everybody's got the same chance. You re we will really see people's real pace in the 10-lap race um, because it's not one lap, it is racing. You see people's real race pace and real race situation over 10 laps, and that's why it's totally unpredictable. For the for the second race, for the 20-lap race, I think, obviously, Bautista will be favourite. Ray next, and then one of the one of the Yamahas or Haslam if he doesn't have the same problems he had. But, um, yeah... If nobody has any problems in the 20 lap race, I think we're going to see the same result as yesterday. Maybe we have them moving up a little bit. And the other section that we always do in the Paddock Pass podcast, the winners and losers section from uh, each race weekend. Obviously, we're doing it on a much smaller set of data, but uh, on the basis of what we've seen so far, biggest winner, Bautista for you? Yes, uh, because it's another track from Australia. Australia is very particular. This place is very particular. And... He's four from four. Um, the loser? I don't know if there's any particularly big losers so far. I can't think. I mean, I think I think the disappointment that people were expecting, maybe a, a jump-up performance from the Honda team here because they tested here. This is the only place we believe they've really tested. So we thought maybe there'd be a little bit more because they had some data from it. I think uh, the fact that we didn't see a, a huge jump up from, from uh, any of the Hondas yesterday and the fact that Camier was saying that, you know, that this is where they are. Uh, I don't know if there's any losers, but I think that might have been the, the disappointment for the neutral 
was not seeing the Honda further up at the, at the place that they, they've tested already. Yeah, and I think that's a fair point as well. I definitely agree with you. That for me, the disappointment, and as you said, it's probably a bit of a strong word, is probably the Honda team up to this point just because of all the testing they've done here. But that bike, when you look at Leon on it, he's riding it well, but just giving up too much, too much top end again. And there's only so much you can do. But what's going to be interesting with Honda is how they develop that bike. HRC always very deliberate with their development plan. So you wouldn't expect to see them suddenly make a massive jump in performance. You'd expect to see them when we get to the second half of the year start to make their incremental gains at that point. Biggest winner for me, i got to say it, Gordo, the whole championship because suddenly we have Bautista competitive at another track. We had him and Jonathan Ray having a real scrap. We've got that midfield battle looking a lot closer. And it all sets up where, with a bit of luck, we could easily have some great racing all the way through the season. I think the feel-good factor is great already. I think we can only see people getting closer. Um, I agree with you. I think the, the championship's taken a step this year in terms of its competitiveness, and more importantly, in terms of people's interest from outside. Um, what When we get to the tracks that don't have a such big straights and so on, I think we'll see Bautista being brought back a little bit. How far, whether everybody can join them, um, is still to be seen. But uh, yeah, I agree with the fact that the, the, the biggest winner so far is the overall feel and, and image, if you like, of the World Superbike Championship this season. After a few years where it's been quite samey, you know, the results have been either between Ray and Davies with a few other people thrown in. Now it's just different, different bikes, it's more exciting. Okay, thanks very much, Gordon. Let you get back to work now. It's only race day morning here in Bury Ram, but uh, definitely looks like Sunday's going to be another good race. So thanks very much for joining us once again on the Paddock Pass podcast, Gordon. Thank you very much, Steve. Enjoyed it. And uh, as we said in Australia, Gordon will join us at each of the rounds through the course this year, giving us, as you could hear from both Australia and also today, lots of valuable insight. So if you want to keep up to date on the latest Paddock Pass podcast, we've got David and Neil in the MotoGP paddock. So they're just back from Qatar and there's a Qatar Grand Prix roundup show as well. And uh, you can keep up to date just by following on Twitter at, at Paddock Pass Pod. And also you can follow us on Facebook as well. So just make sure you're keeping up to date with that. And make sure to give us a review on wherever you're listening to your podcast. Because it makes it a lot easier for everyone to find the shows. We also have a new section for this year as well for our Patreon supporters. So you can support us for as little as $3 a month. And for that, we're going to try and bring you an awful lot more behind the scenes elements from each race weekend. In Qatar, we brought uh, the paddock pass podcast paddock notes just to make sure there was enough peas in that and uh, we've decided to try and continue doing this through the season basically david and neil will try and give a quick roundup of the day and then also we'll just slice in some audio clips from the various debriefs from different riders just to give you a little bit more information so make sure to check patreon.com forward slash paddock pass podcast and thanks again for listening Test, test, test. You got power on the bike? No, I don't like it. Mostly because I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely an idiot. <laughs> <laughs>